the first world struggles of our staff. We're, we're great that you are with us today. Thanks for being here at Grace. We had a great Sunday last time. We're in a series, The Struggle is Real. We talked about parenting and Ed and Willa uh, get, shared their story. Uh, great stuff. Really appreciated that, especially that job one in parenting was to point their kids to Christ. And then also that, uh, just like in our, our house, that church wasn't optional. Church, youth group, that was a must deal for the kids, teens. There's nothing better they could be doing. Just love the way that all, all that come together and had a good time. We, are, we got a big week this week, um, Wednesday night. We're, we've got a parenting class that's going to happen at 7 o'clock. Then Saturday night is our Beast Feast where we are having, I don't know how much Zach said about that this hour, but ostrich and uh, African Watusi. Yeah, that sounds good. And, uh, and some beef and everything else, some ram. It's going to be good stuff. Don't want to miss it. This is a, it's really designed as an outreach for men. So men, this is for you to pony up. Uh, obviously, this costs us more than $5 a head to produce. But uh, we just have that kind of as a marker. So if you'll uh, sign up and then pay for some friends by name. And then we'll have them come out. We can't just blast this because we'd have more men than we could fit, but we're really looking for our guys to, to personally bring people in, and, uh, and then maybe they'll be interested in coming to church the next day. So that's, that's what we're doing with Beast Feast. Love to have you there. We're excited about that. Then next Sunday, uh, as we continue in our series, The Struggle is Real, we're going to hear from a, a prominent businessman in our area that's going to tell you uh, what he has struggled with, and you're not going to want to miss that. So again, we're great we're grateful that you're here, and thanks for being with us. Today, we're talking about the struggle of substance abuse and not just that, but the addictive nature of sin. If you've been watching the news or whatever, you understand there's an opioid crisis in Ohio, and a lot of things happening there, and, and what they're saying is, I think it was 2015, Ohio led, Ohio as a state, was number one amongst all states in opioid-related deaths. And so we just need to see that happening. Last year, over 4,000 people died in Ohio. I think it was, that was in 16. I think in 15 is, is when we were uh, leading in America and just all that stuff. And probably everybody here knows somebody that struggled with some of that. But we want to talk a little bit about that, but, but also about the addictive nature of sin in general, and we'll be diving into that in just a moment. Appreciate that story again, Shane. Uh, he also works in our recovery um, ministry, life support recovery, Wednesday night, seven o'clock here at Grace over in that part of the building. But I want to talk about what he mentioned there about uh, the old man's gone, new man comes, because you think about that, but that doesn't mean that we stop struggling with sin. And, and I really want to dive into what that means for us uh, before we're Christian, after we become believers, how that kind of fleshes out in our lives. We think about things like the opioid crisis, and, and opioids are painkillers, but, but your body can build up a tolerance to them, and so then you need more and more of it to, to reach that high and then that's why there's so many overdoses, and that's such a critical problem, leading to so many deaths in our state and around the country. 
But really, that's like a microcosm of, of all of our sin. Uh, that when we, when we desire something in our heart, we keep pursuing, pursuing, and then we need more and more, and it's a vicious cycle, and it ultimately leads to our destruction. All sin is that way. And so whatever the addiction is, whether you uh, have struggled with drugs or alcohol or food or sex, gambling, whatever it is, we create a bigger and bigger need to be satisfied, and, and that thing that we're pursuing, that desire, never satisfies, and it just creates a greater dependence, a greater need. They all promise pleasure, but if misused, they all deliver emptiness, and they work toward our destruction. It's not always things we're putting into our bodies. Sometimes it's things we put into our mind, like pornography. It's uh, pornography, like all sexual sin, is progressive. And so people take some of it in. And, and typically when it starts, you know, first time someone sees a, a pornographic image, I remember in my life when I was maybe 11 years old, and it's a little disgusting but if you keep feeding that, then it's no longer disgusting and it becomes attractive. And then it grows progressively in your life to the extent that you give in and you feed it. And it used to be drugs, pornography were hard to get. Now you can get drugs on, on many street corners in our town and gas stations and pornography is, comes to the palm of your hand. Uh, on a phone or some other device, you know, well, I almost fell down, you know, no, I, I haven't, I haven't taken any illegal substances this morning, uh, but uh, the reality is there, and, and we all deal with it, and, and sin has a strong and addictive pull in our lives, that's a reality, but truly turning to God will break us of that. So I want to work through this passage that Paul has written in, in Romans chapter 7. It's actually, this chapter is one of the more difficult chapters to fully grasp in Scripture. And I'm going to look at the second half of it, try to peel it off piece by piece and help us to understand. And if you walk out of here when this is all over and you still don't quite fully understand that passage, well, welcome to the club. It's a, it's a tough passage to totally get. But the first thing that Paul talks about in, in this section that I want to look at is he reminds us of the reality of sin. Look at Romans chapter 7 beginning in verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into the bondage of sin. And this comes off a discussion about the law and how it works in our lives. That's, and by law, he's talking about God's law and it, the standard that he's given us for right and wrong so we know uh, what is right and wrong, what's moral and immoral. And the Bible's telling us all through Scripture that, that we have an issue with something called sin. And it's interesting, and, and that's from every person. That we have this propensity toward evil in our hearts. 
We think about the, the shooting in Las Vegas for an example. So this, this super evil tragic event happens and our whole country is fixated on what's going on. And then what was the big thing several days after the shooting? The big thing is what's the motive? What's the motive? Why did this happen? And I think a lot of times we get so focused on motives because for the last 75 or 100 years we've been teaching and conditioning to people, we've been teaching people this, that basically people are good and, if, and because people are basically good, if someone does something really evil, then that must be because they've suffered some kind of abuse in their life or, or maybe they've been oppressed in some way or maybe they're, they're fighting to uh, fight against some perceived oppression. So we, we all think there has to be a reason and we do that because we don't want to think that normal people are capable of that kind of evil without some outside influences on their life. But the Bible says something completely different. The Bible says we all have evil in our heart. That evil comes from inside of us. And that we, we don't necessarily need any outside forces to bring that out. Now it can, but it's already there. And and the problem that we don't like to think about it that way because we start thinking, well, if somebody that, that otherwise seems normal to us, some business, retired business guy, if he could do that, and he, before that he seemed completely normal, then we start wondering or as a culture what we as individuals are also capable of. And that's, that's something that we don't like to think about. But we are all capable of big-time evil. That's what God is trying to tell us. Sin is a reality for normal people. And God has made us aware of our sin through the law. Of course, our natural tendency is always to downplay our sin and not want to look fully at the law because it makes us guilty. And we are. And we have these desires within us that cause us to break God's moral law and then brings that guilt upon us. So the first step is just recognizing the reality of sin, but also more than that, we need to recognize sin's addictive pull in our lives. And we see that in the next verse, Paul continues saying, "'For what I am doing, I do not understand.'" For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. All right, here's Paul, arguably maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, and he's saying, hey, what I know I should do, I don't do. And what I've decided that I'm not going to do anymore, I find myself doing. And he's talking about this pull, this confusion that sin brings. Now please understand through this, Paul is not saying that he's not responsible for sin. He's saying the opposite. He's saying he is responsible for sin. He's saying it's he himself that does it. That's the problem. And I think what we're going to see as we work through these next few verses 
is that when we as believers sin, it's because in our lives we found some other object of affection that is greater to us than our affection for Jesus. It's we sin when we take our eyes off Christ and how He has fulfilled all of our good desires in Him ultimately. And we start figuring out how we can be our own God and our own Savior and we can fix ourselves by pursuing those desires that are in our heart. But what happens is those desires, even desires that are good, that God says are good, for example, sexuality, that's a good thing, that's a gift from God. But when we over-desire it, we cross boundaries, and then it becomes sin, and ultimately it leads to our destruction. That's what, that's what he is getting at with us. Now, he doesn't, he's, not a, he's not covering up his struggle with sin. He's totally understanding his struggle, his struggle with sin and his frustration. And we see his frustration coming out uh, in the next few verses. Let's look down at 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. So again, we see Paul, big time Christian, experiencing this frustration with sin. And if you've ever struggled with sin or especially habitual sin or addictions, you've experienced this same kind of frustration. What am I doing? And again, here's Paul is telling us this. Then this is really a struggle that I believe is inside every person. And, uh, and what happens is for different people, there are different areas in our lives where the struggle is just more difficult. And that may be how we interact with somebody. That could be substances. That could be stuff we put into our minds. That could be pride. There's just all, it could be greed. There's just all these things that sometimes we'll struggle more in an area than another area. And when we recognize that in ourselves, we'll realize that that, that can turn into a habitual sin if we let it go. And, and so we struggle. And it's weird because you can't really believe, be a true Christian without recognizing this. The weird part is, People who aren't Christians, a lot of times they look at Christians and they say, well, Christians are hypocrites. And, and here's why I think they say that. They say, well, Christians, they get all cleaned up and, and they go to church and they, they realize that, that God has these moral laws and they sort of all act like they do that. But I know this guy and Monday through Saturday night, he's not such a great guy hypocrites. But really, that's not true Christianity. That's a total misunderstanding of Christianity. Because Christianity is saying, no, we've got issues. We need outside help. We are sinners. We are messed up. And I'm just hoping that this series will help us to just remember as a church that all of us even as believers, all of us, we're just recovering addicts of something. 
We're just recovering from whatever issues are in our life, whatever sin, because sin is there and some tends to be habitual. And no matter who we are, we're only we're recovering by the grace of God to not let this sin control us and wreck us. We're all sinners who live for wrong motives before Jesus changed our lives. And then Paul points out this principle in verse 20. He says this. He says, but if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members or in my life. So this, this war is going on inside of us, a battle. I believe this battle happens even before you become a Christian because basically before you become a Christian, you still, you still struggle with issues in your life. It's almost like before you're a believer, the battle is between your conscience, which we know that as God has created us in his image, that he has implanted his law deep down in our soul, where we have this sense of morality and right and wrong. It's not fully fleshed out. We don't know all of it. Our culture impacts that. But we have this thing where we will feel guilty if we've crossed this line in our heart. So we have our conscience... And then we have our desires. And then we quickly learn as we grow up, not, not even as a believer, that as we follow these desires, it will cause us to cross lines that violate our conscience. And so it produces guilt in our life. That's normal. And it should produce guilt. because, And, and it's usually you should feel a lot more guilty because you've probably crossed lines before you fe- felt like you actually crossed a line that tripped your conscience. And then what happens is, as you're in this battle between your conscience and your desires, the results of that battle, that war, define you. So however much you give in to your desires in a certain area, or however much you're able to curve those desires in a certain area, you're almost waiting for your life to be defined on how that war goes, on how each battle goes to make that, that war happen. After you become a believer, that war has a different character to it. Because after you become a believer, you're still fighting this new man, as Shane was talking about, against the old man or the flesh. You're still battling between this new person in Christ, who you are, and your desires that can lead you into sin. The difference is now... You are, you're no longer waiting for the outcome of the battle because who you are has already been defined because you've been redeemed, you've been won over to Christ, you are in Christ, you are a new person, so the results of the battle are already in. You are Christ. The, the war, I should say, has already been won. Now, there are still these battles that you struggle with and some you win, some you lose, but the war is over. The war is won. It's like this. Before you're a believer, you're in a war that you cannot win. 
And after you're a believer, you're in a war that you cannot lose because you are declared in Christ. And it's not because of anything you've accomplished or done. It's all grace, what God has given to us, what he has done for us, even though we don't deserve it. Sinners, wrecked, needy, and desperate for Christ. The war we cannot lose, but that doesn't mean that we still don't have battles and sometimes there's a give and take and sometimes we can lose the battle. I mean, that happens. And I think Paul is alluding here to the fact that it's sometimes when we try our hardest to follow God, that's when we can feel sin the closest in our lives or its biggest presence. And that may be because we're not fully tuned in to who we are in Christ. I think sometimes one of the mistakes we can make as a believer is that we get so focused on the sin that we're trying not to do. We try harder and harder and harder, and then we become so focused with that, we get lost in that a little bit, and we're thinking about it all the time, which is sometimes a detrimental. Instead of keeping our eyes on Christ... Instead of following him and realizing that, yeah, we have these desires that we battle, but actually, as a Christian, Christ has already answered all those desires in the fullest way in him, if we would just see it, rather than us take control. And so sometimes I, I think we're all focused on the battle on trying, 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 when, when maybe uh, if we're finding that we're not winning the battle that way, is that if we would just start thinking, I'm being thankful and joyful that in Christ, God has given us these desires and the correct boundaries for these desires to not be destructive in our life, but rather be fulfilling and what God wants and honoring to Him. And ultimately, our satisfaction will be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because nothing in this world can compare to a Savior who has won us over through his self-sacrificial love. So I don't know if you're tracking with this. But have you ever, as a believer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands in a minute. It's going to be one of those questions. As a believer, have you ever found yourself doing something that you didn't want to do, that, that you knew was wrong. And then afterwards, you're like, what's wrong with me? How could I do that? Anybody, that ever happened to anybody? It's happened to me. And for those of you that don't have your hands raised, it'll be good for you to really tune in on this next part so you can help us sinners uh, get through this. <laughs> because there actually, there is an answer. And so... This is the next thing that, so what's the answer? Here's what Paul's telling us. And I know I'm going to sound like a broken record a little bit, but he gives us this answer. And if you're not a believer, the answer is found in Christ, which we would expect. And if you're not a believer, the answer is found in the gospel. This, this most important message, this good news that God has given to us through his son. But if you are a Christian, 
The answer is it tracks right along with the gospel. And the gospel, the answer for you if you're not a believer, and the answer for you if you're battling habitual sin and you are a believer, they just run parallel and it's easy as ABC. The first thing, A, is that we need to acknowledge our sin. We, we need to come full face and acknowledge it. And, and that's exactly what Paul does here in verse 24. Check it out. He says, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. He totally gets it. Even though he's saying, well, it doesn't seem like it's me inside of me. It seems like I'm trying to do the right thing, but sin's working in. No, he takes full responsibility and says, oh, wretched man that I am. He gets it. He's got a problem. And that's the first thing that we all need to do. We need to acknowledge our issues, acknowledge our sin before God because we all have it. And so whether you're not a believer, that's the first step to becoming a believer. Or you are a believer, you need to realize, I am messed up. Because realizing that leads you to the next step, which is, and I need outside help. I am messed up. I need help. And so the second is ABC, right? Acknowledging our sin and then B, believing in Christ Jesus, putting our trust in him, getting that we need outside help and he is the outside help. That's how it continues in the rest of verse 24. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. He's saying, I need outside help. I am jacked up. And the outside help is from Jesus. He understood it. And the question is, do you understand that? Do you understand that you need outside help? You need outside help if you're not a believer because you are heading for judgment of a righteous and holy God. A God who loves you, but a God who is righteous and holy. And your sin will be punished because God is just, and he will not violate his character. So, by necessity, for God to have a just universe, sin has to be punished. And God is a righteous judge. And that's bad news for all of us, because our sin against our creator that we've rebelled against in immorality, the penalty for that is separation from God forever in a place called hell. But God loves us, and so he makes a way. He loves us, so he allows his one and only son to come and live a life, a human life, but not sin. Never trapped in sin, never habitual sin, a sinless life. And then Jesus voluntarily gives up his life. 
to pay for our lives. Infinite God suffers death and separation from the Father to pay our infinite penalty. And then he offers that to us, forgiveness, that we could be reconciled to him, reconnected to God, even in spite of our rebellion, just through faith or belief, believing in Christ. We acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge we need outside help, and then we acknowledge, hey, belief in Christ is the way for us to be forgiven. That's for a non-believer. For a believer, as a Christian, we realize that Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is the one who fills that, that Shane was talking about, that hole in our heart or our lives or our soul. Only God can fill that. We can try chasing all these other things, whether it's wealth, success, drugs, porn, whatever it is, you can chase, 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 and that will never be filled because that is a void in your life that only God can fill. It's a God-shaped hole in your soul. And once God is there, then we need to keep reminding ourselves that we are following the greatest object of our affection. Someone who's greater than anything that, that we can ever experience in this life besides Him. And when we do that, that brings us victory. Jesus came. He died. He actually, Scripture says, became sin for us. He pays our penalty. He offers us reconciliation to the Father. Self-sacrifice. It's not like Jesus came as Superman and didn't feel pain. No, he felt the agony of the cross and even more the agony of separation from the Father when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the question is, is, is has that impacted your heart? Has that melted your heart? That's everything. Has that moved you? Because if you're not a believer, you have to respond to that. It's not just information. It's information. It's news that you make a choice to respond to or not. And the way, and you have to do it on God's terms, and the way he says to respond to that is by faith or belief or trust. Trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And he can free us from the bondage of sin, but also ultimately the penalty of sin that we all deserve. He says, continuing in verse 3, here's what he, Paul says. He says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, that's what Paul's trying to tell us. The law is, is a good thing. But the law couldn't save us. We talked about this earlier in the chapter. Because we couldn't keep the law. Because of the rebellious natures of our heart. We couldn't do it. Christ had to do it for us. That's what he's talking about. And so it's, 
acknowledge our sin. It's put our belief or our faith or trust in Christ alone. And then C is that we commit to following Him. That's the last phrase that He said, that those of us who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That means those of us who are trying to follow Christ, we commit to follow Christ with our lives as believers. Now, we don't do that perfectly. That doesn't mean that we stop sinning, that we're all of a sudden sinless or anything like that. But following Christ breaks the power, the bondage of sin in our life. And even with the struggle, he's made it possible to commit to following him. Here's what happens sometimes. A non-believer who's struggling with some habitual sin will become a believer. And then after they become a believer, they'll be tempted in that way, and then they'll fall again. And it's very, it freaks freaks us out. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a Christian now. I was doing so much better, and now I fall into that same old sin. No, that means nothing's changed. I'm the same person. It's a mess. I can't believe it. I can't believe I did that. But it has changed. Because now you're in a war that you cannot lose ultimately. We still have the battles, but sin no longer even satisfies the little bit that we thought maybe that it might. We know better. We know whatever we're chasing is nothing compared to Christ because we've tasted Christ. We know all that is just illusion. And that we found something more wonderful than anything else life can offer. And we're reminded that we're not defenseless, we're not powerless against the pull of sin. And more and more we see that the addictions we have for the Christian, it's like voluntary slavery, no no matter what area of sin it is. And, And that change doesn't come easy, but through Christ's lasting change is possible because it comes from the inside out. Everything's different. And maybe one of the things that will help us to change if we've been trying, trying, trying and still not experiencing victory in our life is that we maybe take a pause And try to refocus our minds where we stop pining over those wrong desires in our heart. And we start pining over and longing for the Savior whom we know delivers more joy, more satisfaction, more real life than any other thing that we could experience. That's what God once for all of us. Any power sin has in the life of a believer, it's what we give it. And that normally happens when we fail to focus on the reality of God in our life. We have someone better. We've been set free. As we, we close out 
this service. We're, we're going to end in a song again. Tim's going to come out and lead us. And before that, I'm going to pray. But here's what I want you to think about. We've been struggling with some sin in our life, and we all do. But maybe something that, that for you is just problematic. I'd like you to come this morning and just kneel down here and just place it at the feet of Jesus and, and maybe for a season, rather than trying harder, harder, that you would just reshift your focus on Christ and the satisfaction that He brings in every area. And no matter what that area is that we're, we're chasing, because we think it will do something for us, just refocus and realize that Christ has already done that for us. That He is the answer. That He is the giver of all good gifts. That He sets the boundaries so they're not destructive in our life. That we'll just reshift our focus to Him. And so, believer, if that's true, then, then during the song after I pray, once you feel free to come up and pray about that, it's kind of like saying, hey, yeah, I'm struggling with sin. I don't care who knows it, you know. They just may not know what. But if you're not sure you're a believer, during this song, what I'd ask you to do, I know it's kind of weird, and I'm not here to embarrass you, or, but I'd like you to slip out of, of, of your seat and come back. If you have any questions about Christianity, any questions about your relationship with Christ, any questions about how to start that, that you just slip out and go back to room one. I'll be standing back there. Some other pastors will be there to answer any questions you have and just talk to you about that for as long as you want to talk. So let's get our hearts right with God. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and we realize that it's Christ that brings the only true and lasting satisfaction in our lives. Lord, when we realize that we've been loved and cherished, loved self-sacrificially, that Christ has redeemed us in spite of our sin, loved us even though he knows the worst part of us, that you want us to be in, in relationship with you even though you know every skeleton in our closet, you love us anyway and you made a way. And we thank you for that greatest gift of Jesus. And Father, for those here who who not sure where they stand, whether they're a believer or not, where they fully trusted in, in Jesus alone for their salvation and no religious ritual kind of stuff, we pray that uh, you draw them and, and maybe prompt them to come back and talk and discover more about what you offer. And for those Christians, for those of us who are followers, Lord, that it's so easy to get off track, Lord. Break our hearts, convict us by your spirit, and help us reset our eyes on you. In Christ's name, amen.